interesting. This morning we're going to finish up chapter 1 of Second uh, Peter. Um, oh, just, uh, just by way of, uh, of getting into it and, and, uh, and lining it out, uh, we, we're coming off of, as we come into these last verses, they, 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 kinda, they, have a, they have a very specific purpose as related to the rest of the text. He, he's been talking about this, this magnificent and precious promises that are ours in Christ in, in verses 1 through, <clears throat> excuse me, 1 through, uh, 1 through 11. And, and when we came to the end of verse eleven, he he told us that uh, uh, that he wanted he um, well actually in ten and eleven he tells us to be diligent of our call and choosing that, that we wouldn't stumble that our entrance into the eternal kingdom would be secure basically is what he's saying those last verses were verses of security and then he 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 he, he then in these next verses uh, gives us a basis. Of that security, how we hold tight to that security, how that security ever stays with us. First of all, it's by constant reminder. That's the first thing he said. We looked at that last week, I guess it was. Uh, uh, that, uh, by constant reminder. Uh, that's why he said, I'm constantly reminding you. I'm bringing these things to your mind. Uh, that was the, uh, that was the, uh, the theme of that, uh, that particular section. And in, in verses uh, in verses twelve through fifteen, this morning he's going to give us two more uh, that finish out the chapter. In verses sixteen through eighteen, he's going to say, "And I'm an eyewitness of it. I can give you an eyewitness account of the events, uh, along with the other apostles." And then he's going to specifically refer to himself, himself, and James and and uh, and uh, uh, and John as as specific eyewitnesses to the event of the transfiguration, and we'll we'll spend some time talking about that. And then finally, the last thing he's going to tell us is that because of the trustworthiness of the inspired Word of God, that Bible you hold in your hands, these are the ways we we hold fast to our confession, that, that we make sure of our, of our calling and, and, and our choosing. This is how we hold the assurance of our entrance into the eternal kingdom. These are the things Peter is saying. These three things. One, by constantly reminding you what we do when we come here every Sunday. And if you go to services during the week, and if you read your Bible during the week, all of those things are constant reminders. And then... Then secondly, uh, it's because we have an eyewitness account. We have a reliable account from the apostles. And then, most importantly, we have in our hands the inspired Word of God, driven by the Holy Spirit. These are the things he's, he's going to tell us. These are the two, these last two are the ones he's going to look at this morning as we, as we, as we look at verses, uh, verses 16 through 21. So before we, uh, before we get into, uh, before we, get into those verses uh is there any prayer requests this morning so we're going to uh, begin by looking at at the eyewitness the eyewitness account of peter verses 16 through 18 where he writes for we did not make known to you the power and coming of our lord jesus jesus christ following cleverly devised myths but being eyewitnesses to his majesty for when he received Honor and glory from God the Father, such as an utterance as uh, as this was made to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. So that's uh, that's Peter giving his eyewitness account. He begins verse sixteen. Uh, he has a negative and then a positive as he comes into this, and he he speaks to the privileged position that he, John, and James were given at the transfiguration. He picks out this. This specific event uh, to relate uh, to relate the eyewitness. Now, understand the whole life of Jesus on earth was witnessed by the apostles, but he picks this specific event, and he and he and he says and he and he he begins it by by the the, the conjunction for. He's tying us back uh, to what the hearers are have, have already heard. He said he said. Keep this in constant reminder, for we made known. That's, that's the idea here. Uh, 
is 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 that uh, uh, is is that he's tying it back to the verse before, and then he uses the word we, and in this particular instance, he uses it as an emphatic because it only it ref, it refers to we the apostles. That's the idea here. It's a limited we. It's not an all inclusive we, as. Uh, and he has also changed from the personal pronoun, where he used I, speaking that Peter, this is Peter talking. Here now Peter is saying, this is the collective voice of the apostles in a, in a very real sense. He's saying, uh, we are all eyewitnesses, but he's going to give this one specific event as, as he moves through. He says, he says uh, uh, he's speaking the truth uh, that was taught by the apostles, and in this case, specifically the three of them that were at this at this event, uh, Peter, John, John, and James. And he says, he says. Then the, now the negative says, we did not follow fairly, uh, cleverly devised myths. It, it would appear here that Peter is beginning somewhat of his defense against false teachers that he's going to he's going to start telling us about in chapter 2. That's the next thing that's coming up. This whole trustworthiness of the scriptures, this whole trustworthiness and security of our salvation precedes teaching on false teachers that come into the church. It's to, it's to fortify believers who are going to be facing the onslaught of what Paul called the grievous wolves. Uh, that come in to devour the flock. And so so that's really what Peter is doing here. He's saying, we didn't follow cleverly devised myths. Uh, we're, uh, uh, we taught the gospel ministry. That's the idea here. He says, we didn't, we didn't follow the way the false teachers did. We didn't make up stories, is what he's saying. He's, he's saying here. He says... He says, cleverly devised, which is a word that has an interesting root meaning. It means to make wise. But it's used in a, in a context here, and it's used in a way in which it's talking about ideas of sophisticated, subtle diversion. That's, that's, what, he's, that's what he's saying here. Uh, they're, 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 they're made up to look like the truth. It's like writing, reading your morning newspaper or reading the news. You know, it's slanted. That's what they're saying. That's what he's saying here. They slanted their stories for their benefit. They, they tried to trick you. They use careful wording to draw you in. And in fact, the fact of the matter is, if you look at our, our, some of the doctrinal statements and you follow them through the history of the church, at one time they were relatively simple, you know. The Bible is the, you know, we said the Bible is the inspired word of God. And then we had to start adding stuff because people came in and redefined those words. And now we've got all these things, you know, it's, it's plenary, it's the, you know, on and on and on and on, is, is that we have to add into that to explain what we used to say simply, it's inspired, and everybody knew what that meant. But, but, but here, that's the idea here. He's a clearly, uh, cleverly devised myths, is what he's going to call them. It's kind of like, how many of you have ever heard, God only helps those who help themselves? <laughs> Nonsense. God helps the helpless. Yeah. That's that's the that's the bottom line here. It's that kind of idea. And any he he, uh, he uses the word mist. It is the English word we get mist from. It, it speaks of allegories. It speaks of fictitious prophecies. It speaks of old wives' tales. Uh, those kinds of things. It's uh, it's the idea of fables. They're made up stories. Uh, they're they're what the pagans did with their gods. Uh, they made up elaborate fables about them. They made up elaborate myths about them. And, and Peter is saying here, that's not what we did. That is not the message we delivered to you. First Timothy, <clears throat> First Timothy chapter 4. No, excuse me. First Timothy chapter 1, verse 4. He says, nor to pay attention to myth and endless genealogies which give rise to mere speculation, rather than furthering the stewardship from God which is by faith. And then then in 4.7 he writes, but refuse godless myths, fit only for old women. On the other hand, train yourself for the purpose of godliness. And in 2 Timothy chapter 4, oops, 
Second uh, Timothy chapter four, where, where it's the message on preaching the word, he, he tells he tells Timothy in in verse four of chapter four, he says, "And turn away their ears." From, uh, he says uh, uh, he's talking about the time when people will uh, will uh, no longer endure sound teaching. He says, "And they will turn away their ears from the truth and turn aside to myths." Uh, that's pretty much what we have in the liberal church and in the cults today. Myths. That's what they teach. And Titus, he goes on to tell Titus in verse uh, chapter 1, verse 4 again, To Titus, my genuine child, according to our common faith, grace, peace to ye from you. Uh, uh, I think I got the wrong verse. 14, excuse me, that's what I want. I can't read this morning. Not paying attention to Jewish myths and commandments of men, but turning uh, who turn away from the truth. Uh, this is the idea. This is this is the whole uh, organized, set up, works based religions. In fact, is is kind of encompassed in that thing. He he says he says note. Uh, incidentally, the word myth in the New Testament is always used as a negative. It's always something bad. It's never something good in, in every usage. Uh, Peter says, this is not the pattern that we use. This is not how we did it. He says, we made known, we made known to you. <clears throat> and it's basically a reference here uh, to, the new, to the revelation of the New Testament. That's, that's what he's saying here. John chapter 17, verse 26 John wrote, and I have made known to you, um, and I have made, I have made your name known to them, and I will make it known so that the love with which you love me uh, is made known to them, and uh, that you are in me and I am in him. This is the problem of learning verses out of another text. <laughs> Excuse me, we'll try again. And I have made your name known to them, and I will make it known so that the love which with which you love me may be in them and I in them. Uh, the idea here is it's revelation. It's new revelation. That's, that's the New Testament. That's the idea behind it. Uh, you can follow that up with Ephesians chapter 1, verse 9, and Colossians 1, 9, 27. And he says, what we made known to you, this is what we made known to you, the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, which incidentally is one of the things he's going to have to defend against in chapter 3, in verses 3 and 4, where he says, knowing, first of all, that in the last days mockers will come. Their mocking will follow after their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. This is what he's saying. No, that's not the truth. That's a lie. He says, that's not what we taught you. We taught you Jesus is coming. And he's talking about the second coming here. uh, Because he's talking about he's coming in power and in majesty. The first coming was in humility and meekness. Philippians 2, 6 and 8. So he's talking about the second coming here. He's talking about Revelation chapter 19. This is the picture that he has here uh, that he's that he's uh, that he's uh, speaking to them about. He's, he's talking about the second coming. The coming is a word that uh, you may or may not be be familiar with. You probably will be familiar with it before Pastor Steve gets done with all of his teaching on on the millennial reign. But it's the word parousa. Uh, it's the word which we translate rapture. Um, that's the word he uses here. His coming, his perusa. It's, it's, however, not talking about the catching away of the saints specifically. Uh, the word has a broader context. The word can, it's one of those words that can be used to talk about a specific event, uh, the things that follow that specific event, and the whole entire event to its conclusion. Uh, here it's talking about the conclusion of the event, the return of Jesus Christ, the second coming of Jesus Christ. That's how it's being used in this in this particular context. Uh, he's he is coming for his saints, and they will be present with him through. Uh, that's the beginning. Uh, they will be present with him through the course of the time. And here is the second coming with a, when the saints come with him in power and majesty. Revelation 19, verses 11 uh, through 19, where he comes wearing the name King of Kings and Lord of Lords, riding on the white horse with a sword uh, and 
executing judgment on the ungodly. That's that's what that's what Peter is picturing here when he says this. And he says, "We were eyewitnesses. We went from being general observers to Jesus' life to very prepared." and privileged witnesses of a very specific event. He says, Peter, along with James and John, had the privilege to witness a preview of that coming, which is what the transfiguration is. The transfiguration, there are, there are some, some theologians that teach the transfiguration is a preview of the resurrection. It's really a preview of the second coming. That's, that's what you're seeing there. You're seeing the, the, the Jesus of glory, the God-man himself in his glorified state as he will return, glorified and majestic. That's, that's, the, that's the picture uh, that's being spoken of here. He says he comes in majesty, uh, which is a, a word that, that means splendor or magnificence or grandeur. It's used of God in Luke, uh, in Luke 9.43, and it said, We were astonished at the majesty of God. And that's, that's what they saw at the transfiguration, the majesty of God. That's the, that's the picture he's wanting them to understand as, as he comes into this. And P- Peter is saying, I was a eyewitness of this event. I saw a preview of what it was going to look like. I think about the Apostle John. He saw this preview and he saw the big preview. <laughs> he saw it all. Uh, but here is, the, here is the picture that Peter is painting for him. He says, I was an eyewitness to this account. I stand as a witness. Incidentally, you notice that in the account there were three witnesses, which Jewish law demanded. They demanded three witnesses to verify any fact. And we have three men verifying that fact. Peter, James, and John. And then he goes on to verse 17. And in verse 17 he says, for when, we re- for when he received honor and glory from God the Father with such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So Peter now refers, Peter uh, uh, here uh, uh, describes the event that he was an eyewitness to. And, and, it, is, and it is the transfiguration. Um, Matthew 17, 1 through, uh, through 13, it records the, the events that happened in that transfiguration. And he, and he says that this is an event where Jesus received honor and glory from God the Father. In John 1, 14, John wrote, We beheld his, his glory, glory as the only begotten Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Uh, that's that's what he's picturing Jesus as here. Uh, he's picturing him as receiving honor and glory. In Revelation chapter four nine, the word uh, honor uh, speaks of a of a, an exalted state, the highest respect and recognition. Uh, that's that's what uh, that's what Peter is saying happened here. Uh, Jesus was honored. He was given the highest rank, the highest position, the highest. The highest honor is, is the idea uh, that he's talking about here. In Matthew 24, 30, glory speaks of, speaks of radiant splendor and divine brightness. Uh, John tells us that Jesus was the light of the world, and that's the idea. He's the bright one. We're going to talk about that more in, 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 a, in a coming verse. But, but just now he's, he's, he's seen as, as filled, with, filled with exalted status and radiant splendor. Uh, that's that's the picture they saw. Uh, that's the picture they saw. And he said, God the Father, incidentally, this word majestic glory is kind of an interesting usage here. Uh, Peter kind of uh, surrendered to his Jewish roots. Uh, the Jews uh, were very cautious, and it's why until the until the current version of the LSV that we're using today came out, uh, that very often your Bible, wherever the name of God was, it said LORD in all caps. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not the word that was there, but, but that's, that was following that pattern of uh, not saying the name of God. Uh, Peter is doing that here. Uh, you could replace majestic glory with Yahweh. Uh, he's calling on the name of God, and he's following an Old Testament pattern uh, from Deuteronomy, from Deuteronomy thirty-three twelve. Uh, he's not saying that it, as the uh, actually the LXX uses it that way, uses that that utterance, uh, and not the not 
not the English, not the English translations. They use they use the word God and majestic, but uh, but here here he is saying the name of God. He's saying that he received he received honor from the majestic glory. In other words, Yahweh glorified him. That's that's what it's saying. That's ultimately what he's saying here. And he goes and he and he, and he goes on to say and he says they heard an utterance, which is an audible voice. It's an announcement concerning Jesus. That's that's what he's saying here. They heard the audible voice of God. Uh, he spoke out of the cloud, and he says, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. That's, that's what he's saying here. He's saying, he makes, uh, marks, uh, which marks one of two events, because this, this same wording was used at Jesus' baptism. So the question is, how do we know this is the transfiguration? The next verse tells us. Because it was on a high mountain. The transfiguration took place in a river. I mean, excuse me, the baptism took place in a river. The transfiguration took place on a high mountain. And Peter identifies it. Uh, that's, that's the event. That's when he heard this voice at the transfiguration. He says, on the holy mountain. Uh, I said high mountain. Uh, in, in Matthew 17, 1, that's what it's called. We went up on a, they took him up on a high mountain. Um, Mark tells us in verse 20, in, ch- in uh, chapter 8, verse 21, that they, they were in the area of Caesarea Philippi, which while the text doesn't tell us, and this is only supposition, it was probably Mount Carmel. Because it was the highest mountain in the region. Probably. No, don't put a stamp on that. That John said this is absolute. It's not. <laughs> but that's that's the idea. It was probably Mount Carmel. Excuse me, Mount Hermon. I don't know. I was reading something else that, that argued that it was Mount Carmel, but it's in the wrong place. It's probably Mount Hermon. Sorry. Uh, but any, at any rate, at any rate, because it's the closest, highest mountain to uh, Caesarea Philippi. And that's where they were, according to Mark chapter 8. And he says, it was an utterance made from heaven. God declared, and we're in verse 18 now, uh, verse 18. And we ourselves heard the utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. That's, that's the point here. He says, God made this out announcement. Uh, he declared the Son. He identified his essence with him. Uh, that's his identity and an essence are with God. It's basically, this is basically a declaration of divinity. That that's who this is. Uh, this is God Himself, the Son. Hebrews chapter seven, verse twenty-six. For it was fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted before the heavens. That's what. That's that's the way the. Uh, uh, the author of Hebrews identifies Jesus in Revelation chapter five, verses nine through fourteen. In the in the in the in the new song that is sung by the redeemed, it says this: He is worthy, and it says He is worthy of blessing, glory, and honor. Uh, these are these are the these are the things that are that are that are encompassed in this. Uh, he's identified as he's identified as the Son. He's identified as God the Son, and Peter. So Peter here in these first verses is is telling, telling, <clears throat> telling his hearers. We have a reliable source because we're eyewitnesses. He tells his hearers, he and John and James are eyewitnesses uh, to to the majestic glory that is Christ. That they not only saw Christ, but along with him were Elijah and Moses. Luke nine thirty through thirty two, and they heard the they heard the voice of God declaring him as the beloved Son, equal with God the Father. That's the idea here. And then he moves on from the eyewitness account. Eyewitness accounts are good, but we have a more sure account. And he's going to now talk about the origins of the of the of the spirit driven word in verses nineteen through twenty one. And we have a more sure, and we and we have as more sure the prophetic word to which you would do well to pay it, pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. 
Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes by one's own interpretation. For no prophecy is ever made by the will of men, but men being moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. So here, here we come into the origins, the source, and the certainty of... Well, actually, I gave that in the wrong order. It's the certainty, the origin, and the source of, of, of Scripture. That's, that's what he's going to give us as we go into this account. Peter progresses in the text from the context. He, he, calls, he, calls, he calls us to keep reminded of the events of Jesus, of the, of the words of Jesus, of the truth of Jesus. He gives us an account of eyewitness testimony. And then he says, here we have the revel, here we have the revealed word, which is, and he's going to tell us of its certainty, its origin, and its source. And that's, that's, that's the idea as he, as he moves through these three verses. And incidentally, each one of those titles goes with each verse as we move along. Second uh, Timothy 3.16, a verse I, I know you're, well familiar with, but nevertheless, just to kind of bring it up, all Scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be equipped, having been thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's uh, that's the idea here. God-breathed, theonumatos. God, literally, it's God breathed out. Is 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 the idea here? It's it's our doctrine of inspiration. The God-breathed word. Uh, the doctrine of inspiration probably could be worded this way. I got this from a theologian, not from me. <laughs> but nevertheless, it says this, The act of the Holy Spirit in which he superintends the writers of Scripture so that while writing according to their own style and personality, they produce God's written, authoritative, trustworthy, and free from error into the original writings. That's the idea. That's what inspiration means. That we have a reliable text that came from God himself. Revealed, using men to write it, but using their personalities, using their talents, using their styles, using their abilities, but directing the words. So that we have we have a God's written, authoritative, trustworthy, and free from error word. That's, that's, that's the doctrine that he's talking about here. And so first of all, in verse 19, he talks about a certainty. And Peter begins by saying, we have, we have as more sure the prophetic word. That's, that's the first thing he says. He says, we have a more sure word. It's, it's more sure than the apostle, it's more sure than your memory. And it's more sure than the apostles eyewitness account is what he's saying. It's the prophetic word. While the eyewitnesses' account are great and beneficial, the prophetic word of Scripture is sure. Psalms 19, verse 7. It says, The testimony of Yahweh is sure. In fact, I'm sure you may be familiar with that text, that, uh, that, that great psalm of Psalm 19, which the first portion of the text, he, he, he talks about the, the reality that the creation itself glorifies and declares God. And then he gets into the specifics of the revealed word. And he gives this series of, of titles for the word. And then he gives a series of, 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 of uh, 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 descriptions of the word. And then he gives a series of, along in each one of these verses, uh, benefits of the word. And as he moves through that text, he says of the word that it is perfect, sure, right, pure, enduring, and true. That's what the psalmist says. Those are, those are the things he says about the word of God. That it's perfect, sure, right, pure, enduring, and true. And then the psalmist in 119 verse 106 says, The sum of your word is true, and every one of your judgments is everlasting. Jesus said in John seventeen seventeen, Your word is truth. That's kind of just a simple statement of what the Word of God is. It is absolute truth. To Peter, the Word of God is sure. It's certain. That's, that's what he's saying here. It is sure. It is, it is a certainty. We have in, we have in verse 18, uh, Peter and John's uh, 
recollection, their references, uh, the uh, uh, and 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 there the we is we the we is emphatic. Here, when he uses the we, he's using it in a more general term. He's he's saying we believers possess this. It's not a select group. It's we believers possess this. All of you possess it. I don't see anybody in here without a Bible in their lap. You possess it. It's in your hands. I don't know. I don't know about you, but I got a whole collection of Bibles at home, uh, you know, and I've got a collection I study from because I look at the different texts and how they how they how they translated it, even some of the ones I don't like. But in nevertheless, but nevertheless, I look at them to see how they translated it, and and that's that's what he's saying here. Uh, you possess the Word; God gave it to you. That's that's what he's that's what he's saying here. Uh, you have the word of truth in your hands, and then he goes on and he calls it the prophetic word, which usually, which is a description of of the Old Testament, in the, when used in the New Testament. Normally, it's talking about it's talking about all the text of the Old Testament. Uh, he, he's saying uh, that's what he's saying there. Uh, Jesus said of the Old Testament in John five thirty uh, thirty nine. <clears throat> He said, you search the scriptures because you think, uh, you think that in them you have eternal life. It is, it is these that bear witness of me. That's what he tells them. Uh, the Old Testament is all about Jesus, ultimately. That's what he's saying here. Uh, basically, Calvin wrote this. He said, the question is not whether the prophets were more trustworthy than the gospel. It is simply that since the Jews were in no doubt that everything that the prophets taught came from God. It is no wonder that Peter says that uh, there is a word uh, that is more sure. That's the idea here. It's absolutely sure. It's absolutely sure. The word concludes includes all of the inspired text about Messiah in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, Romans sixteen twenty five through twenty seven, and the New Testament writers are equally inspired as the Old Testament writers. In fact, Peter is going to make that claim about Paul's writings in Second Peter three fifteen through sixteen, where I really appreciate that Peter says. Even though some of Paul's writings are hard to understand, study Peter, you know. But at any rate, but at any rate, he says they're hard to understand. But he declares them Scripture. That's what he calls them. And he says the prophetic word, which and this is, I, I think this to, to me, this is the big duh statement in Peter. You would do well to pay attention to it. Yeah, really. You know, if this is the inscripturated word of God, this is the word spoken by God through his spirit, through the prophets, then yeah, it'd be a good idea to pay attention to them. If the God of the universe is speaking, it would be a good idea to pay attention. That's what he says. He says, you, which you would do well to pay attention to, it serves as a warning, which is then followed by this great metaphor in which he compare he compares the word of God to a light shining in a dark place. Psalms one nineteen one hundred five. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Now this word dark in the text here is an interesting word. This is the only place. Now you're going to look at me and go, "What are you talking about?" Dark is used all through the New Testament, but this is the only place in the New Testament this word is used. It's a very specific word for dark. It's a word that means. It basically means a desolate area, in a, in a way. It means dry or parched or dirty or murky. It, it pictures a people living in squander, is, is the idea here. In a dark, murky, musty, moldy place. Something just not pleasant, is the idea, uh, is the idea here. Uh, they're unable to see the truth because of the, the blindness this place presents, I guess you could say. That's that's the idea. And then he says, and this is until, oops, I'm on the wrong page. This is until, this is until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. This is the idea here. This is a dark, shadowy place that is 
that is that is just a squander of the depravity of man is the is the idea and it's into that shines the lamp this is the metaphor uh, for jesus coming uh, jesus coming pictures to the to christ returning as the morning star uh, this word morning star is the word that we get phosphorus from it means light bringer that's what the word means uh yeah sorry is this the same word that you used to describe the name for satan before he fell yeah okay it's used in a lot of places it, it means light bringer sometimes it's a different word no, it's the same well it's a hebrew start, it's so. a hebrew word it's a hebrew word in that case not in the, uh, uh if, if we're thinking of the same text, but at any rate, um, but here, here, uh, here, it's the word phosphorus. It's the word we get the English word we get phosphorus from, which uh, phosphorus was discovered in sixteen. I looked this up. It was discovered. It was discovered by a German scientist in 1667, and he discovered it by having this element in a dark place and finding out it gave off light in a dark place. That's phosphorus, you know. I have a little different context with phosphorus, which isn't as pleasant. We use it to destroy things. But anyway, anyway, uh, but anyway, at any rate, uh, uh, that's the idea here. It it, it gives off light. And that's what it's saying here. When Jesus comes, he brings light. He dispels the dark, murky place. He uncovers the depravity of man. He shines light on it, is the idea uh, that Peter is saying here. The word of God whom Jesus is brings light he says he's the light bringer Uh, and then he goes on to call him the morning star uh, that rises in your hearts Uh, this is a uh, these words day and more and star are are common used in scripture uh, in numbers (coughs) chapter 24 verse 17 a star will rise out of Jacob in Romans 13 12 the day is almost here referring to Jesus return in Hebrews 10 25 as you see the day approaching the day of Jesus return approaching these are the ideas that are that are incorporated here in this text and then in, in Revelation twenty two sixteen, he says, "I am the bright and morning star." This is this is the idea here that he's saying. Believers are to keep a subjective knowledge of Jesus Christ return. They are to be looking for that return, and they have the Word of God to keep them steady. As they, as they do so. And then in verse 20, he's going to tell us the origin of Scripture. And he says, he says in verse 20, Know this first of all. This is, this is a, a paramount thing you are to know. This is, this is a doctrine that is to be ingrained into your head that you are to believe, you are to understand, you are to know, and you are to, 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 to hold to. He says this is of first importance. And he says... Basically, it's saying, know how to use the scriptures. Know the scriptures. And know how to use them. Uh, I think, uh, well, I don't think, I know. But this is why Pastor Steve, in both the women's retreat and the men's retreat, taught basically Bible study methods. How to interpret scripture. How to to deal with it. How to study it. Uh, These are important important things for you to know. Uh, That's what he's saying here. And he says, he says, know this first of all, know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from one's own interpretation. That's the first thing he says. No prophecy of Scripture comes from one's own interpretation. Um, in, uh, in the NASB it says, is a matter of. It, it means, uh, to. this word, this means, uh, comes by or a matter of means something that is uh, comes into being, originates or arises. It's saying it's saying ultimately that no prophecy of Scripture originates from someone's interpretation. In other words, the words of the Scripture didn't come from somebody's imagination. Somebody didn't think it up. It, it didn't originate with them. That, that's the uh, that's the idea that he wants him wants him to understand. It, it has to do with origins. 
Peter is not restricting the believer's study. Peter is moving to teach, uh, moving here more the teaching of false teachers, making it clear that Scripture didn't originate from, from the human being. Didn't come from the mind of some man. That's that's the idea that he wants them to understand here. Second uh, Peter in chapter two verse. Oops. In chapter two verse one, he says, "But false prophets also arose among the people, just as just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves." Uh, this is what he's telling them. He says, "There are people that are going to tell you this stuff, but don't listen to it. Don't listen to it. You need to. You need to first of all." Know the scriptures. And then you must know that those scriptures did not originate from some human being. That's not the idea. Interpretation is probably not the best word uh, in English uh, to, to, uh, to describe what he's saying here. Now, basically, this is a word that means, uh, in English, it means, it, it means this is a word how we understand Scripture. That's what we do. Uh, we, we take Scripture and we come to understand it by interpreting it. But the Greek word here is one that's speaking more of the source of the Scripture than it is the understanding of the scripture. It's where this is all, this whole text is about origin. It's about where scripture came from. And he's going to, he's going to then give more indication of the source as we move into the next verse. So this text is saying to us, understand this, scripture didn't originate out of the mind of men. That's not where it came from. And he's going to tell us where it came from in the next verse. And that's, that's the idea. It leads us right into verse 21. And, and that scripture source, he says, For no prophet <coughs> has ever made, uh, a prophecy was ever made by the will of men, but men, being moved by the Holy Spirit, spoke of God. And now here he's going to give us that source. So we have here, we have here the origin, and we have the source. And he says here, he says, uh, he says. Uh, uh, first thing he tells us, it didn't come from human will. People didn't make it up. The Bible isn't a, it's been said that the Bible is not a book that man could write if he would write it. And it's not a book he would write if he could write it. You know, I, I mean, you just read it. Who would write a book? that describes us as bad as we are. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Ultimately, who would do that? Uh, you know, uh, that's, that's really the idea here. He says, no prophecy was ever made by the will of men. Men didn't bring this book into existence. That's what he wants us to know. Uh, he, he's, saying, he's saying, men didn't bring this book into existence. It wasn't made by the will of men. It was, made, it was written through men. But it was written through men as they were moved by the Holy Spirit who spoke from God. And that's the, that's the next part of the text. <coughs> Ezekiel chapter 13. Probably ought to go there. Go, uh, we ought to talk about this first. He said, uh, Ezekiel said in, in, thir- in verse th- 3 of chapter 13, he, he spoke of the uh, of false prophets as those who spoke of their own spirit and have seen nothing. That's, that, that, that would be what you would get from men. Now, but unlike these false teachers and these false religions, which did not originate, which did originate with the... Uh, 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 with men, uh, scripture is in contrast. It says that men were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. Second Samuel twenty three two. The Spirit of the Lord spoke through me. The, his uh, His words were on my tongue. Now this is uh, a really interesting, uh, really interesting way that he put things here. He he uses a word moved which is a word that means to be continually carried. It's a continuing word. It's, it's not a word that means, you know, it's, it's, it, they were continually, as they wrote, they were continually moved. 
that's that's the idea here. They weren't just given an idea and then they wrote about it. They were continually moved through it. Is is the the concept here? The idea to be born along is really what 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 is being spoken of. This same word is used in a very non scriptural type sense in Acts twenty seven fifteen and seventeen. It's used more in its in its. Uh, it's used in a nautical sense in this particular uh, in this particular reference, I guess you would say. It, it speaks of a ship. It describes a ship, and the ship. And of course, in that day, all ships were sailing ships. They didn't have propellers. You know, they had a sail that drove them along. And it speaks of a ship being driven by the wind. It sails in full bloom, and the wind is driving it. The wind is propelling it. Uh, that's what he's saying here. He's saying that's the picture that he's that he's painting for us. He's saying the prophet is like a sailing ship who put his sail up and the breath of God filled it and moved it. And it moved it until it reached its destination, the writing of whatever scriptural account they're giving. That's the idea here. That's what he's saying. The scriptures are God breathed. This is another way of saying that. Uh, that's what Peter is saying by way of illustration. The, the, the Spirit of God drove the writers of Scripture. Their minds and their pens were carried by the wind of the Spirit. Incidentally, Spirit is pneuma, which means breath or wind. Uh, so that uh, is a, an effective metaphor to, to describe what is going on here. Jeremiah. Chapter 1, verse 4, he says, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, The breath of God came to me, carrying me along, if you will. 1 Corinthians, chapter 2, verses 9 and 11. But just as it is written, Things which the eye has not seen and the ear has not heard, that which has not entered into the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him, But to us, God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches the things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the depth, for who among men knows the depths of men except the Spirit of man, uh, which is in him? Even so, the depths of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. Now have, now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the depths graciously given to us by God. Peter here has said, as before he moves into his teaching on false prophets, he says, look, here are the things that keep you steady. Here are the things that keep you solid. That you that you are continually reminded of the Word of God. And I, I think we could tie to that you're continually involved in personal study and listening to the teaching of the Word of God and fellowshipping with the saints. All of those things would be tied up in that kind of an idea. And secondly, you have an eyewitness account in the Gospels of Jesus in his life. Here's, here's what really happened, and it's specifically enhanced by the transfiguration where we see him coming in a preview of his coming in glory. And then finally, you have the full revelation of God according to Revelation. You have the full revelation of Jesus Christ in your hand, the scriptures. Know them, study them, know their source, know that they came not from men, but from the Spirit of God. That God spoke and drove these men to write these words. Uh, that's that's what Peter is wanting you to understand. That's what he that's where he's wanting to take you. How do you know you're assured? By staying in the word, because it tells you you are. Any comments or questions this morning? Yes. Clarify a little bit more in verse 19 where it says the morning star rises in your hearts. Is that speaking specifically of um, the revelation of Christ? Yeah, I think what he, what he what he's the way he's put it there. Ultimately, what what that is saying is he's saying, look, we had this we had this darkness and the 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 phosphorus light came into it and eventually that morning star overtakes it all and what he's wanting believers to do is and i probably didn't explain this very good is keep that treasured in their heart until that event takes place that's the idea that's something that holds us firm is is knowing that that day is coming uh, 
and that's why I went to those other verses that refer to that. Uh, it's 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 the idea that uh, that ultimately on that day that white horse will ride out of heaven, and that that's the ultimate picture uh, that he's he's expressing he's expressing there. Uh, that picture that picture does does that answer your question? Kind of, sort of, maybe. <laughs> Yeah, that's the idea. We're to hold on to those truths. The, the idea here is we're to hold on to these truths. We're to hold on to the truth. Jesus is coming. That's that's ultimately the truth he's wanting us to hold on to. Uh, that light will shine eventually. Anything else? Sorry. Oh. I was going to say, um, I suppose I was thinking like in verse Corinthians 13 where it says, when we see him, we'll be like him, right? We see him face to face. So we have pretty full revelation at that time of our glorification, which would be at the time of our rapture. Yeah. This refers to the day, which would be the second coming. Yeah. Yeah, he's talking. That's 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 where he's that's the the references where he, where he's talking about here that that's going to take place. Uh, that's the full, complete completion of the event uh, for us. Yes, you know. Uh, the moment you're translated into Jesus' presence, you'll be like him because you'll see him as he is. That, that's the idea there. Uh, you don't have to wait till the second coming if you're a believer. But uh, ultimately, at the second coming, uh, the full revelation of Jesus will be seen. The whole world will be lit by it. That's, that's kind of the idea. That, that he's, and he's saying, treasure this in your heart. Treasure this in your heart. I finished early enough that I won't get kicked out by the choir like I did last choir rehearsal. <laughs> Let's pray. Father God, we thank you this morning. We thank you for this time. We thank you that, uh, that you and your grace have set for us uh, means by which we can hold tight to our assurance that it's ours in Jesus Christ. First of all, by the, by the constant reminder of your word. And secondly, by the reliable witness of the apostles. And finally, by the full revelation of your scriptures, which you've given to us to know and to study, and you've given us your spirit to to teach us in all things. We thank you for that, and we just ask that we would be found faithful in, in our service, in our pursuit for godliness, that we would honor you, And we would give glory and honor to the name of our Lord Jesus in all that we do. For we ask this in his name. Amen.